0: Welcome, welcome, everybody, to a new episode er (laughs) (laughs) of Perspective. You see, sometimes, Um, sometimes just your mouth does whatever the hell it wants. It doesn't want to listen to you, what you're trying to say. So today, in this lovely episode, first of all, this will be 24th, 25th, 25th. So happy
1: birthday to us. Happy birthday? I don't know. How do you say that? Happy 25th
0: day to well, us. Well, it's a quarter of a year. No, it's a half year at this yeah. point. My oh my. Time flies. We applies. are doing this for half a year. Yeah. So, since we are doing this for half a year, this was actually the greatest thing I could say. <laughs> <laughs> so, to explain you, today we will be focusing on one thing. And before you know what the thing is, here's a quote of a conversation that I had with one of my friends. Time is unbelievably powerful enemy, especially now, at at which the reply is, it's always two things, I guess, an enemy and ally nonstop. So today we are going to talk about time. Yeah, yeah. Ah,
1: (laughs) the Dark Lord.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I will start with the explanation of why I thought it's an enemy, because (laughs) might as well. And... I feel like it's a very powerful enemy right now, because unfortunately, as you will know in future episodes, I am slowly leaving Hungary and I've been living here for 12 months. It will be exactly the day I will leave. It will be exactly 12 months, 365 days. But that means I was living here for 365 days, which means I have a lot of clothes. I have a lot of stuff. I was living here, I was eating here, I was living here for 12 months. That means you're accumulating stuff in a higher rate than you are actually (laughs) thinking. And to finish all of my projects that I started uh, while being a volunteer here, because I am a volunteer in an association in Hungary, it's stressful. (laughs) Yeah, you need time and energy to think about
1: that plan that...
0: Yesterday when I was talking with my mom, I asked her why the day cannot be longer because <laughs> I'm missing
1: hours in a day. You know, w- I When I ask myself that question, I always, I know the answer. The answer will be that if the day would be 28 hours long, they would make us work 27 or 28 hours. So in the end, we would still be working, but just double the time. You know? so it's That's not, true. I mean, you need to specify it's like, you know, that ancient Greek myth of Tithonus, his lover, the dawn, had asked the gods to grant him eternal life, but she forgot to ask for eternal youth. So this guy, yeah, he was going to live forever, but he was also going to age forever so you need to be very very f- careful with what you wish if you wish to have a longer day you must specify that
0: longer working hours exactly that's true okay so i don't wish for longer <laughs> <day>. <laughs> because i know i would be working more yeah. i'm working right now almost i feel like it's nonstop. it feels that i'm sleeping and working there's no in the middle but this is what happens when you are moving out of a yeah. country as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things to take care of. And, and oh boy, the time, the time is not on my side right now. So with that, we will go properly into the topic of yeah. time, <laughs> which is a very surreal thing and very hard to actually describe because for a very long time... No pun intended, (laughs) but I think the word time will be very highly repeated. We didn't know how to describe time. And there were many things to help us measure the time, but starting with the sun clocks. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about a definition of time in physics, time is Basically just the measurement of movement.
0: and also something that we said, okay, this is time.
1: Exactly. We decided we took the the Earth's revolution around the Sun as a point of reference, but we could have taken anything else, of course. So and at the same time, it is a very strong presence in our lives, very, very strong.
0: It's the fourth dimension.
1: Absolutely. So it's so funny how something that is so influential in, a li- in our lives, something so powerful honest, has such a, an ephemeral definition. We, we conceive of it in so many different ways. I think it's really fascinating.
0: It is. And yesterday, actually, I googled time which was a problem because, again, I didn't specify Mm -hmm. exactly what I want. So the first um, search result was the Time magazine, (laughs) actually. Makes sense. Which then I remember, oh, yeah, they are called Time. Uh, But I went to Wikipedia page. I don't think I would be able to go through everything that was on that page in one day. That's not possible mm-hmm. because they took everything. They started with the concept of time, but then there's the concept of time in religion, in physics, in uh, philosophy, in literature. In th- Then we have the space travel, the time travel, uh, poems and all of this. And then uh, there are certain articles that you like for full article click here. Mm-hmm. Oh my, oh my, that was a rabbit hole that (laughs) for a moment I went into. And at some point I catch myself that I was not reading about time anymore. I was reading about fate. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, I think that the two concepts are very much linked or at least they are linked in our understanding of time in the sense that what decides when you are born? You know, how many times you have thought that maybe if you had been born on another, in another time, maybe your life would have been better.
0: Actually, I was supposed to be born two weeks earlier. Than really? I was. I'm oh. a late child.
1: Well, I think you were very wise. It's very comfy in there. <laughs> you know,
0: that's also true. I'm supposed to be a lion, but I'm a virgin.
1: There you go. No, so. I was, as usual, very reliable. They said I was going to be born on that day and I was born on that day.
0: So, yeah, like this is also the thing. What if you are born earlier? What if you are born later? What if What if
1: you met that person at a different time
0: of your life? And I can say 100% there are people in my life. If I would met them earlier, I would not be friends with them, for example.
1: And vice versa.
0: Yeah. And vice versa, or the other way around. If I would met them later, I would not even speak with them. So this is an amazing concept. So you see, time is
1: linked to fate. And I think that the way we live time is uh, very much linked to how we live our lives. You know, there was actually... Annie Dillard, that once wrote that how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So I really believe that the way we live time, the way we choose to spend our time is in the end how we choose to spend our lives. And that will bring me to the first quotation of the day, <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, th- it's funny because at this point we could set up a bet. You know, who is Bea going to quote? A writer, a poet, or a podcast? In this case, it's a podcast, and probably, and I have already quoted On from this <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> You are, you see, it's wonderful. We could really set the up a game for this. The part of this is I never know what <laughs> quotes Bea is preparing because this is the strange thing of the podcast. We are talking about what we want to talk about, the general topic, and what points <laughs> in the podcast we want to consider uh, talking about, but we never actually speak about exactly what exactly. we're going to talk which... It's crazy in one way because we are doing this together, and yet we are, we are surprising are ourselves, maintaining
1: a level of surprise for each other. And
0: I, so I never know what to ba- and prepare, and of course I
1: never know what she prepares. So,
0: <laughs> whenever so, I hear. but you see now we can
1: set up a game because I like my sources of inspiration and are always the same. And uh, this is a quotation by um, an interview that I found on the On Being uh, podcast to Pico Ayer. He is a journalist and author, and uh, his interview is entitled The Art of Stillness. And uh, he says, I think a lot of us have the sense that we're living at the speed of light, at a pace determined by machines, and we've lost the ability to live at the speed of life. In The Guardian, Ayer wrote, we have more information and less space to make sense of it. So time for Ayer is not just the pace, but the room to make meaning as well as just be processing or getting through our to-do lists. And so whoever you are, he says, whether you're a mother raising kids or somebody going to the office, you know that really you're extracting the the meaning only when you're away from it. And I sometimes think we're living so close to our lives, we can't make sense of them. And that's why people like me go on retreat or other people meditate or do yoga or other people go for runs. Each person, I think now, has to take a conscious measure to separate yourself from experience just to be able to do justice to experience and to process, as you said, and understand what is going on in their life and direct themselves. And actually, Ayer has spoken about the notion of stillness, and that's one way he describes his practice. And one way he talks about it is through a Buddhist corollary, uh, which is the notion of right absorption. And he says, I love that word absorption, because I think that's my definition of happiness. And I think all of us know we are happiest when we forget ourselves, when we forget the time, when we lose ourselves in a beautiful piece of music or a movie or a deep conversation with a friend or an intimate encounter with someone we love. That's our definition of happiness. And very few people feel happy racing from one text to the next, to the appointment, to the cell phone, to the emails. I was going to say cellophane. (laughs) (laughs) If people are happy like that, that's great. But I think a lot of us have got caught up in this cycle that we don't know how to stop and it and isn't sustaining us in the deepest way. And I think we all know our outer lives are only as good as our inner lives. So to neglect our inner lives is really to incapacitate our outer lives. We don't have so much to give to other people or the world or the jobs or or the job or our kids. So you see I really believe, I really agree with uh, Ayer um, because concerning his um, reflection on time, we, and I am tying again to the notion that time and fate are very much linked, we can also have a say in how we choose to spend our time, of course. We can say, hey, this rhythm of life is not life for me. This is the rhythm of a machine. I don't want to comply with this kind of thing.
0: But then I have a question. What if you can't? Exactly. Because then uh, this is the, the thing. You can live as a machine. For example, let's go to extreme. You're working two jobs just to tie one month to another. And you need to be working as a machine. Because if not, you will not have anything to eat or a place to live. And then... You do want to change your lifestyle because working two jobs is never fun or never easy, but you can't because you need that money and you're not, for example, you're not qualified to do the high, higher paid jobs. I'm not saying high, high, I'm not talking about making millions, but making the the normal amount. So what if you cannot change so that? So before I answer your question I have
1: the second quotation of the day because now it's the time for me to go ranting against capitalism. Please give me the satisfaction every it. once in a while. So there is this uh, Italian uh, author his name is Giorgio Grizzotti. And um, he has uh, written a book on what he calls neurocapitalism recently. And two years ago, Antonella Di Biase um, interviewed him and uh, published um, this article called "What Is Neurocapitalism and Why Are We Living in It?" And um, what when he is asked to define what neurocapitalism is, what who and what and of like of what and of who should we be wary of? Grizzotti says, one could say that compared to the industrial capitalism that Marx described, we are now entering a cognitive and biocognitive era of capitalism. Factories still exist, but they are no longer at the heart of politics. We have moved from a time when the driving force of all activity was accumulation in the physical sense, to a society based on performance and the exploitation of life in a broader sense. Whether you're working or just spending time in front of a screen, it is a form of production, and cognitive capitalism exploits this for its own profit. Our economy is based on knowledge and information. Capitalism in Silicon Valley, which is part of the financial machine, founded its own power on its mastery of algorithms and ability to manipulate our attention and even space-time. So, DiBiase uh, asks him what he thinks about the fact that now in Ausburg, uh, in Germany, they installed traffic signals on the ground for pedestrians who have their eyes on their smartphones. And he, th- she asks it, if, for him, this is a way for the system to encourage us to stay glued to our devices. And he replies... In a way, yes. In any case, it's certainly not an invitation to adopt a critical approach. In a passage of my book, I write that time devours the territory. Cognitive capitalism does not want us to admire the scenery. Smartphones are also a way to work a way to work permanently. Historically, the boundary between private life and work disappeared along with the factory when autonomous and precarious work appeared. Production and living are now intertwined precisely because of the new technologies. And I think that this notion is very important to understand because we have talked about this in the technology episode that we need to take a conscious measure to limit how these devices and in general how the corporate productive world absorbs us and absorbs the time we want to spend in our lives but to go back to your questions your question it's true i really do believe that some people don't have a choice absolutely and uh and even people who do have a choice like like normally or even more like often more often than that, than not are absorbed in it anyway because it's just everywhere i mean i am i am living at the speed of light even if i have to go and watch a movie just look at a movie from the 1970s and a movie produced now It's so fast. You don't have time to think. You don't have time to feel. Because it's all made for you to feel this rhythm of, there's always something new, always something new, always something new, bye, 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 you know? I want to engage you. I want to keep you there. I don't want you to reflect on things, to make sense of your experience. Um, That's capitalism for you.
0: I would also say that we, and I'm saying we as a collective organism of everybody on the surf mostly we lost the ability to do good slow movies because I think the last movie of this sort that I can say that it was a good movie that I watched I don't remember the title right now but it was a movie from 2008, eight nine. yeah This is the last. And I do watch a lot of movies because I really do like the visual part. Like I am a visual person. I do photography. Of course, I will enjoy the TV shows and and also the TV shows. It's very hard. I I feel like right now it's very hard to do any kind of media, whatever this is a TV show or a movie that will be. Slow enough for you to actually process all of the information while watching it for the first exactly. time. Yeah. And this is the key thing. We are watching things for first time. We never, well, we might heard about it earlier, but we don't know anything about it. Nobody spoiled us with anything. We're watching it for the first time. I feel like majority of writers, directors, producers lost the ability of the slow buildup. I'm not saying it's not good that you have action scenes because it's also something that can add up to the picture. But like you said, everything like, and this is nothing, something new. And this is a new person, new information, new this, new that. And every two, every five minutes. So sometimes I will be watching a movie and it's like, well, that was something that I don't understand. Yeah, you're just confused. And the
1: thing is that At some point, I don't think that the... I mean, maybe there are some people, as Pico Ayer said, that really enjoy and uh, feel they can be themselves in this kind of uh, dynamics. But I think that the majority of people are really unhappy living a a life like this. A life where they cannot stop and make sense of what they are living.
0: I will say that I'm a weird person. Well... I think we established that <laughs> episodes ago. But in, in this case, I need to say that. But maybe this is also because the what kind of person I am. I do sometimes, emphasis on sometimes, I do enjoy the high spaced days where I will get up and I need to do this and go there and do that and speak with that person and call this person and go here, check out this, find this. I like those kind of days. But I don't think I'm capable of having this kind of days from Monday to Friday.
1: Yeah. That's what I what I mean. I mean, of course, also there are people who would like to really spend their lives in the woods just meditating. Wonderful. But I think that broadly speaking, we all need to feel that we have a purpose or if we don't have that purpose at least to feel active and but i don't think anybody can be really really happy or at least not the majority of people if they don't have at least one moment every once in a while where they can say now i can really live this just be just be and you see how in the end we're continuing to go in a space where we're linking life to time time if it's not lived according to our rhythms our personal rhythms it doesn't allow you to live and that we go back to your enemy there
0: yeah yeah <laughs> my enemy is with me all 24/7 Because, unfortunately, time is not infinite. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is infinite. But we... Okay. So now, this is a perfect moment to quote my favorite movie. (laughs) Uh, This is The the Fault in Our Stars. And there's uh, a point where um, Hazel Grace uh, is saying to, to another character, I will not say why or how, because that's... End of the book, I will not spoil you. But she says that there's infinite amount of numbers between zero and one. And there's infinite amount of numbers between zero and zero point one. And then zero point zero one and so on and so on forth. So there is an infinite amount of time. And this is I know this is a very high math, but I try to Stay with me. We are experiencing during our whole life an infinite amount of time. But our infinite amount of time is smaller than others or bigger than others. Which doesn't make sense because time is countable. Technically, you can count time the way we set. Of course, the way like this is a second, this is a minute, this is an hour. We put measures on time. But time can be infinite. It's true. Which is amazing if you think about this.
1: It's true. You just need to work on a different scale than the human one. Or, I mean, even in the human one, you can work on a scale of infinite. You just don't have to count only yourself in it. That's amazing.
0: But the thing also, the problem with all of that, you don't know where your infinity ends. Yes.
1: But well, that's also the beauty of it, you know. I think that it's the always the same reasoning that life wouldn't have no meaning if there wasn't death, and I am absolutely I agree with that very much because there is um, a novella by Borges where this man describes living forever, and at some point you've already done everything and what do you do
0: about death so i don't have quotes prepared but i just um realize so there was a very famous i do hope you know him uh, writer terry pratchett mm-hmm. if you don't please do some kind of research i'm not saying mm-hmm. read his book but he's a very amazing uh, writer and in his stories because he wrote 30 plus books, I think, on one world. It's not just one character. He's exploring different parts of the world. And somehow these books are connected. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. And he has a character that is he, and it's deaf. So in his books, the deaf is not a woman, it's a man. Which is amazing from also linguistic point of view, because in Polish, and I think in most languages, the deaf... Is a woman. Yeah. And he's deaf. He's bringing people on whenever their time is ending, he brings them with himself. And there is a moment when he's depressed because he doesn't see the point of living, quote unquote, because how deaf can live. And he's also described as just a skeleton. Connected with magic, because there's magic in this world as well. So he's there's a very funny situation. He's sitting in a bar, and he he never... Because at this point, he was always working alone. And one day, he decides that he wants apprentice. So he was looking for apprentice, which is a story in itself. But then, since the apprentice could also do his job, he was kind of left there doing... Nothing for death. And uh, he's sitting in the bar and he's he asking the bartender a question. What is this feeling of emptiness inside? And the mm, the barman says, like, oh, this is sadness. And he's like, oh, I'm full of sadness right now. So it's that motion of he was doing his job all his life, quote unquote, and now since he doesn't have to, now he's realized that he doesn't have anything around him to keep him company as well. So this is also the the side of time and the living in the speed of light. Yeah. When you actually stop, sometimes you realize that apart from work, you don't have much.
1: You know, there is a beautiful movie called Only Lovers Left Alive. It's a movie by Jim Jarmusch. With Tilda Swinton. And it's the story. Of two lovers. Who are. The movie never really. Explains anything. Which is something I really appreciate. So it it lets you imagine. But you understand. That these two people. Are immortal, immortal. And they have been loving each other. For centuries. And in the movie. You see that. The two have very, very, very different approaches on life. One is taking advantage of the time she has to learn. She is curious. She learns. At the beginning of the movie, there is this beautiful scene where she packs some books, and they're in all the languages that were ever invented her lover on the contrary is full of sadness the same way death in Pratchett's book is and it's really interesting because have you ever wondered what what you would do if you would live to forever
0: yes actually what would you do <laughs> I have no idea that's the thing because at some point while because oh First, I will maybe explain why I was thinking f- f- thinking about this. I, I'm i fascinated since almost very beginning with fantasy books. So, also, of course, there's other themes of vampires, which is mortality, immortality as well. And I remember once thinking, because I was uh, reading uh, another book, there were vampires. And of course, as usually vampires live, they count time in centuries, not in years. And I was thinking, what would happen if I could live way longer than the rest of the people? And... Of course, their first answer always comes to, well, I would travel to see all of the places that I can't while I'm just a merely human or I could learn all the things that I could do. But then always there comes a moment of realization that you are left then alone because all your family will not live as long as you do. All your friends will not live as long as you do. Then there was also a problem of, well, then how do you explain your friends that you still look the way you looked 50 years ago when they are on their deathbed, for example, looking all wrinkly and old? And how do you keep this a secret or controlled secret while trying to live your fullest life? If there are people like you, then that's a little bit easier. But then there are still people with different personalities. So what if these people are not thinking the way you think and they are not connecting with your personality? So then there's still a question, am I going to be alone? And at the end of the day, I think if I would have a choice between living for centuries or living forever but having the possibility I will be alone somewhere in the line and then having the possibility of living a normal human life but then having friends and family I think I always comes towards actually having people around
1: I agree with you certainly because I think that there there is that clash between infinite and finite, in the sense that your time might be infinite, but the time of the others is not. And also, the things that you can learn are finite. And uh, the things that you can see are finite. Because our planet has a like defined surface. You can be to all the places of the Earth. But if, if your life is really non-ending, you will have time to see everything. Well, so. actually,
0: I don't agree with that. Because, let's say... You are actually, you are not just visiting a place. You are actually living there for at least couple of months to actually explore everything. But then, if you come back to the same place hundred years from now, of course the place would look different,
1: changed absolutely.
0: So it's not that there's finite amount of things you can see. Mm -hmm. There's there's finite amount of wonders you can see in the Mm -hmm. earth. That I agree with, but. Is the places you can visit is going to end? I don't think so. Because then you would wonder, okay, so how is this city looking like compared to what was 100 years ago or 200 years ago? If you go even uh, wider, let's say you are starting in 16th century America. There was very little there of what America is now. So let's say you come back 200 years later. And that is 18th, 19th century of America, which starts with building skyscrapers, which people were not able to build 200 years earlier. So it's also that depends where you are in what time when you are starting. Mm-hmm. So that's my take. It's on really
1: that. interesting. But now I want to ask you something else. Should And it's about this idea always of time as fate, which really, really, really interests me. I'm kind of obsessed by this. I am obsessed by the idea of parallel lives in the sense that it's not that I believe that there is another dimension, or though maybe there might be, I don't know. It could be, but in the sense, what I mean now is the lives you could have had.
0: Oh, boy, that's... <laughs>
1: and have you ever thought about that? Is it something that has ever...
0: Well, again, since I'm very heavy into fiction and um, and fantasy, there is a moment when I started thinking, okay, so what if I would mate the other decision I would say yes instead of no or vice versa I would say no instead of yes or what if I would do this not that what if that what if question Oh, Mm. I think my whole secondary school was what if I was lost in it and this is also another problem that you're having with this you can be loose so completely into what if universe that you don't see the time that is Escaping you in that moment. But I I think I need to say that I completely lost myself for almost three years into what-if universe. But I do... So there is at least two things. I know there is one, I think one TV show. I don't remember right now. But their concept was that every time you make a decision... There is a parallel universe created with the opposite decision that she made. And there is an episode, I need to mention this um, Doctor Who, of course. I think
1: I saw that.
0: There's an episode uh, where the whole episode is around one person turning right instead of left on the crossing. The idea was that she went for a temp job because she was temp worker. So she was here and there all the time um, substituting for people who took sick leave or were pregnant, all of the things. She decided to go for the job. And because she did, she managed to save the doctor. And what the villain of this episode did was made her to turn the other way. So this, she decided, you know, screw it. I'm tired of being a temp worker. I will not go there. So she couldn't save the doctor. So the doctor was dying in that universe, that situation. So this is how, and when I was watching this, I was amazed how a single decision of turning your car right or left on the crossing can, in this case, save somebody's life. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah.
1: There is a movie called uh, Mr. Nobody with um, Jared Leto which explores this brilliantly, I believe. And uh in general, this is something I I am obsessed with because maybe because in my life I was often in the situation where some things weren't completed. Some the relationships I had with some people did not reach a full exhaustion. So there are some situations that were left there hanging. And I always wonder, what if? Hmm? But it's also true that that's not me anymore. And now I'm... So, okay, this is maybe a long quote, but this is so beautiful. It's, It's heartbreaking how beautiful this is. This is a quote by The Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino, which is one of the most beautiful books ever written. And uh, the story is, well, it's kind of a weird book. Read it. It's beautiful. Absolutely. There's no other word. And uh, let's say that the premise is that Marco Polo is visiting uh, Kublai Khan, in Mongolia, and he tells him about his travels. But the cities he describes are a little surreal, a little metaphorical, a little imaginative, but very plausible in some ways. And between the the, the s- sections where he describes these, si- these invisible cities... There are some passages where the book kind of reflects on itself, where Kublai Khan and Marco Polo speak. So you, you have actual dialogues. And this is my favorite passage from the book. This is beautiful. Kublai Khan says... The other ambassadors warn me of famines, extortions, conspiracies, or else they inform me of newly discovered turquoise mines, advantageous prices in martin furs, suggestions for supplying damascened blades. And you, the great can, asked Polo, you return from lands equally distant and you can tell me only the thoughts that come to a man who sits on his doorstep at evening to enjoy the cool air. What is the use, then, of all your traveling? It is evening. We are seated on the steps of your palace. There is a slight breeze, Marco Polo answered. Whatever country my words evoke around you, you will see it from, from such a vantage point, even if instead of the palace there is a village on pilings and the breeze carries the stench of a muddy estuary. My gaze is that of a man meditating, lost in thought, I admit it. But yours? You cross archipelagos, tundras, mountain ranges, you would do as well never moving from here. The Venetian knew that when Kublai became vexed with him, the emperor wanted to follow more clearly a private train of thought. So Marco's answers and objections took their place in a discourse already proceeding on its own, in the great Khan's head. That is to say, between the two of them, it did not matter whether questions and solutions were uttered aloud or whether each of the two went on pondering in silence. In fact, they were silent, their eyes half closed, reclining on cushions, swaying in hammocks, smoking long ember pipes. Marco Polo imagined answering, or Kublai Khan imagined his answer, that the more one was lost in unfamiliar quarters of distant cities, the more one understood the other cities he had crossed to arrive there. And he retraced the stages of his journeys, and he came to know the port from which he had set sail, and the familiar places of his youth, and the surroundings of home, and the little square of Venice where he gambled as a child. At this point, Kublai Khan interrupted him or imagined interrupting him or Marco Polo imagined himself interrupted with a question such as, you advance always with your head turned back or is what you see always behind you or rather, does your journey take place only in the past? All this so that Marco Polo could explain or imagine explaining or be imagined explaining or succeed finally in explaining to himself that what he sought was always something lying ahead. And even if it was a matter of the past, it was a past that changed gradually as he advanced on his journey because the traveler's past changes according to the route he has followed. Not the immediate past, that is, to which each day that goes by adds a day, but the more remote past. Arriving at each new city, the traveler finds again a past of his that that he did not know he had. The foreignness of what you no longer are or no longer possess lies in wait for you in foreign, unpossessed places. Marco enters a city. He sees someone in a square living a life or an instant that could be his. He could now be in that man's place if he had stopped in time long ago, or if long ago at the crossroads, instead of taking one road, he had taken the opposite one. And after long wandering he had come to be in the place of that man in that square. But now from that real or hypothetical past of his, he is excluded. He cannot stop. He must go on to another city, where another of his pasts await him or something, perhaps, that had been a possible future of his and is now someone else's present. Futures not achieved are only branches of the past, dead branches. Journeys to, rel- journeys to relive your past was the, Ka- was the Khan's question at this point, a question which could also have been formulated, journeys to recover your future, and Marco's answer was, elsewhere is a negative mirror. The traveler recognizes the little that he is, discovering the much he has not had and will never have.
0: Yeah, that was beautiful. But now I have a different question. I was thinking while you were reading, um, because there is the the usual quote um, that is spread around uh, or said to people that the journey is more important than the final destination. And on top of that, I um, watched a video from a very, I would say, very wise man that he said, yes, the journey is important. But if you're focusing more on the journey, not on the final destination, you are losing your final destination. And whenever you are reaching it, it's like, so what now? Because I was focusing on the journey for so long. So now is the question. What is more important, the journey through the time or the final destination that you are reaching?
1: I think the journey is in function of the destination in the sense that you need to look at the journey as the thing that allowed you to reach your destination and nothing else. So it is important. It's actually necessary. But it's the of journey course. is not the destination. The destination is the destination. If I don't know if I explain myself so
0: what so about now, you? What do since you we are, well, ha ha ha. Pff, I think I'm somewhere in the middle because whenever I would take my short journeys, and I'm saying short journeys because they are not, they didn't take me five years to to reach, like, I would consider me coming to Nirec Hazzai's. Also, it's not the longest journey because the journey to Nireczhaza is taking me just 16 hours. Yeah, I know it's crazy living in Poland and Hungary, but the journey takes me 16 hours. And then there was a final destination, but there, there is another journey on top of that. So I, I would say that I have very skewed definition of the journey and final destination in the meaning that they are somewhat mixed together. Because the journey to final destination, then your final destination begins the another journey to another final destination. True. Mm-hmm. If you,
1: yeah, yeah, it's clear. Okay, good. My <laughs> brain is
0: working. So, because, for example, my, I was the happiest. That was my one of the happiest moments when I could come come back to London. I went there second time. I booked my flight. I was going to be there for five days. And I was so happy because also this is my place to mentally rest, which is very important for me uh, once in a while. And the journey there was a little bit stressful there and back, but that's another part. But then I came there. And I started my journey throughout London, throughout the city, because I was walking so much there. And so then London, who was my final destination, became the journey itself. Mm -hmm. So for now, I have to say that I don't have the final destination, meaning the thing that if I will reach, I will be happy forever and ever. And I don't think we ever do. Because whenever we reach, we want something... Yeah, we change. We change, we want something more, something different. It's a normal thing. But I'm somewhere in in the middle. You know, it's funny. I was noticing that
1: throughout this episode, we've been talking of time linked to fate. But we keep referring to time as linked very much to places. Journey, destination, travel. It's weird, isn't it? That something that is so non-geographical
0: became very much yeah, geographical even if
1: it's just metaphorically speaking i think we i think we sometimes think of time as a space a space where things can happen
0: well if we're thinking mathematically and in physics as well so we have the free axis of latitude longitude and the height where you are physically but then you need to add time to this because I can say, okay, right now in the studio, it's this is our coordinate part moment, but we will not be here tomorrow or we were not here yesterday. So we need to add time to have the full picture of where you are in the time.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? How these things are tied together, and yeah. you see how much time influences our our definition of things and of ourselves. It's amazing because it is. we do change. I mean, the person I am when I am six years old is not the person I am when I of am course. sixty.
0: That would be very
1: bad if you would. Yeah, and so. <sighs> Wow, I don't know. It's just so metaphysical, but at the same time, so physical.
0: Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? So now we will go to, for a moment, to a different part of time that I'm very happy about. Mm? So I'm, now I have a question for you. If you could travel anywhere in uh, time space, place,
1: where would you go? I would go in the future.
0: Where in the future?
1: I would say 500 years from now.
0: In exactly the same spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To
0: see. Because how I think
1: that in that way, I could have the means to make sense of what is happening now.
0: You see, f- you think that 500 years is.
1: I think it's enough. I think that.
0: I was going to ask if it's too much. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: I think it's enough in the sense that now I think we really understand what happened 500 years ago. And in 500 years, we will have seen all the consequences. Always, if the Earth will still exist. Always, if humanity will still exist. I, let's give that. I will discover it if I ever manage to travel to five hundred years in the future. Um, yeah, I would say yeah because the past for me. No, I don't want to. I don't want to see that. Honestly, I don't think that it was better. In any way, especially for a person like me, in the sense that being a woman...
0: um, Yeah, that's true. We are very... I mean,
1: if I were a man, and if I had been raised in an upper-class society, I would probably start thinking, oh, it would be great to see how it was like in the 16th century. But, I mean... I don't think that I would be positively impressed, or at least the things I would be positively impressed by are things that I can find in books. And I think books are a safer place. If I have to see something, I want to see something that I don't know about at all.
0: Yeah, that's true. We are in a very unfortunate situation being women. We were not treated uh, nicely around the history and what about you where would you go you see where
1: uh, I, I say where would you go but but it's, it's actually where when and
0: when yeah. yeah so hmm that's a good question I think I I probably would go into the past and the future I would go to the past but I would choose a moment Especially if we are talking about uh, mountains or like lakes, maybe not so much, but oceans, seas, before humanity was there to see how it was, yeah, Mm -hmm. just like untouched. But I think I would go to the future. I don't know when. That's the and or where. Right now, only Scotland is on my mind. Probably,
1: like you know, what we should go to the future. And once we're there, I think we will ask people if they understand us where we should go, because, you know, it's like if in the 14th century, they didn't know that New York was going to become one of the most important cities in the whole world because it hadn't been founded yet. Actually, it like the whole continent hadn't been discovered yet by people from Europe. Of course, people who live there knew that it it existed. So I have the feeling that what is going to happen like like a thousand years from now is not something we can really predict. So maybe we should just go and then
0: ask, ask for information. Like, know, right? So, what was the most interesting <coughs> point in the past for you? And then it turns out it's now. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that would be amazing. Could
1: be good. We should bring a linguist with us to understand how they speak. And uh, but yeah. if
0: we're bringing linguists from our time, how they would understand the language from our time?
1: The no, the linguist would come from the past with us, so they would have at least the means to kind of understand where the language okay. is. So, yeah, I think we, sh- we should need somebody to help us m- communicate.
0: Yeah. yeah, that may be an issue. But between <laughs> us, we have a lot of languages, so maybe <laughs> also we could kind of survive. Yeah, yeah. I say kind of. Maybe English would take over the world. Huh, who knows? Or Chinese. Or Chinese. Oh, well, ah. we don't know Chinese. That's a
1: problem. Yeah. All oh, right. boy, <laughs> It's really interesting, you see, because it can change in very... In things that right now... Might be either unpredictable or highly unplausible, so you that's see, true it's I don't know it's really because in the end, it's true that any time would be interesting to explore simply for the fact that it was different
0: that's it's that's very true, yeah, I think that's what. In general, why are we so fascinated by the past? Because it was different than it is now. So we, like, we can read about it, we can do research about it, but we would never know exactly yeah. how it was to live in that exact times. Yeah, that would be. You know, it's funny because, okay, so there is this movie that
1: i love very very much it's called cloud atlas
0: and of course it's
1: actually based on a book by david david mitchell but it's a book i had never read because if you have listened to the books episode you have understood that i have a very weird approach to books and which are like like movies that are adaptations of books because sometimes The movie makes me want to read the book. Sometimes the movie is so good that I don't want to spoil the movie by reading the book. And Cloud Atlas is one of them.
0: I have the original uh, Uh, Cloud Atlas I want to read. It's Well, you know, there actually is a
1: copy in the... Nigerian yorokeso you're leaving in 10 days but you might you know and you won't have time in yeah, these ha- 10 days to I have to, a yeah. copy it
0: <laughs> I wanted to read it because of the
1: movie the movie is absolutely amazing oh. and it's about reincarnation if we want to be very mm, I mean basic but it's more most of all about how we evolve yes. through time
0: and um, also how ideas evolve through yeah. time
1: and how we can transcend our our boundaries. And um, how what we are and what we choose to do can have really very big consequences. Even if it's just on the lives of one person. And oh my god, that book is amazing because it shows you that humanity... I think that it goes back to what we said about time being infinite. I think that after you've watched that movie and probably also after having read the book, you realize that time really is infinite and that humanity can be a part of it if we take that kind of perspective of believing that we are part of something that is evolving and that something is our human whatever it is. So...
0: There's um, because I was actually thinking about this movie. I forgot. I was thinking yesterday about this movie. movie. It's so great. The
1: soundtrack is one of the oh. best I ever heard of. Really,
0: especially the the theme song. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah.
1: My favorite character, obviously, is uh, the composer, the pianist, uh, who is yeah. played by um, that wonderful, wonderful actor, who is. What's his name? Ben Wishon. He is absolutely amazing. But I really I really like that kind like because he is the the one that actually expresses in the most poetic way, this idea of us transcending our, our boundaries of our boundaries of our bodies of our time of everything. Then there is another character that expresses it in a more political way. He does the most poetic, philosophical version.
0: I want to quote something that is not about time, but it is at the same time. So, in that movie, at the end, one of the characters says, I believe death is only a door. One closes and another opens. If I were to imagine heaven, I would imagine a door opening. And he would be waiting for me there.
1: I cried so much during this scene.
0: Like, this movie is so beautiful. I will actually re-watch that movie.
1: I, like, I think I want to re-watch it.
0: <laughs> you know? But it is... I've, I have to say that I had to watch this movie twice in the same week to understand it fully. Because it's very... The structure is very complex, it's true. Very complex, but if you actually then realize the events, the chronological part of the events, because they are not always in a chronological order. This is the most um, hard thing for you to wrap your hand around. Because also these are the same actors playing multiple roles. Yeah,
1: because they, they are the same souls.
0: Yeah. So actually figuring out everything time after time, what is happening. But at the same time, you don't know what was happening in the world in general, because suddenly, from a very high tech, we are going to a caveman ish yeah. style. you don't know if
1: those cavemen belong to the prehistory or a post history. So it's. It's confusing Actually, at from, first it's true.
0: Um, from the interviews that I read and uh, general descriptions the caveman like is the after the yeah, high tech it's
1: the the future yeah It's the
0: future but then you are wondering so are we still on the same planet are we still in the same world what happened how much time it passes because also then there's a change of time yeah it, as in our years we there's the before christ and after christ and there there is also a break in time but you don't know how much time yeah so it's all confusing amazing.
1: you need to watch it or read the book the story is it's amazing incredible. and
0: how especially how all of the characters are intertwined with each other not even the same character i'm saying the same Not the same actor, Mm -hmm. to explain it better, but uh, just other actors, how they intertwine throughout time from the earliest to the last ones and how it all connects. Yeah. It's so beautiful. My
1: favorite scene is one where, so the composer, who is called Frobisher, and um, he writes a letter to his lover. Oh my God, it's...
0: It's beautiful. And he yeah. says,
1: um Six Smith. This is the name of the lover. I climb the steps of the Scott Monument every morning and all becomes clear. Wish I could make you see this brightness. Don't worry, all is well. All is so perfectly damnably well. I understand now that boundaries between noise and sound are conventions. All boundaries are conventions waiting to be transcended. One may transcend any convention if only one can first conceive of doing so. Moments like this, I can feel your heart beating as clearly as I feel my own. And I know that separation is an illusion. My life extends far beyond the limitations of me. And I have goosebumps. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, One one may transcend any convention if only one can first conceive of doing so. And he means means it. He means time. He means space. Separation is an illusion. It's true. My life extends far beyond the limitations of me, of my time and place, of my geographical and physical boundaries. And I think that's beautiful. Because (sighs) in a way, we, we can't find a way to reach that infinity just transcending what we are
0: yeah and I think with this beautiful moment we will finish this episode because we will not be able to top that there is nothing to top cloud atlas I agree that's just impossible so with that we would like to not welcome you to the next episode not yet (laughs) Uh, we would like you thank you oh my My brain stopped working for a moment. Uh, We would like to thank you for spending this lovely hour with us. Uh, We are hoping that, I don't know, time is more explained now, more complex. I don't know what we did. (laughs) (laughs) And we hope time will
1: smile to you. And we hope that you will make time smile to you. That's the most important thing.
0: Yes. And, as always, you can write to us about all of the time concepts that you have. We have email. You can write to ourperspective.podcast at gmail.com and also our Facebook page, Our Perspective, where you can leave a comment, leave a review, all of the stuff. We will answer your questions as thoroughly as we are capable of. And... With that, we would like to welcome you now to another episode next week, Friday, 10 a.m., as usual.